Good morning. Welcome to Okotoks Calvary Fellowship. Thank you for joining us as we study through God's Word. Turn with me to Mark chapter 10. And as we come again to this book of Mark, you remember last week we looked at what Jesus taught regarding the subject of marriage. And this week we're going to look at what Jesus taught and what the Bible speaks and teaches regarding divorce and remarriage. Now, we're not going to be able to cover comprehensively all that the Bible teaches on marriage, divorce, and remarriage in these two short messages. And to be honest, I almost wish I didn't have to talk about this morning. I wish I could just say a few words about verses 10, 11, and 12 and then move on. But I feel that as a pastor and as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that it's my responsibility when we come to an issue like this, one that is so real and that touches so many lives both in and out of the church, that we need to take the time to really examine this issue scripturally. And so this morning, we're going to be talking about divorce and remarriage from a scriptural perspective. And in doing so, we're going to try to answer some of these important questions. Does the Bible say that a Christian can be divorced? And if a Christian is divorced, can they remarry? And are there legitimate biblical grounds for divorce? And if so, what are they? But ultimately, we're looking to see and hear the heart of Jesus this morning. And so for context, let's begin this morning uh, reading at verse 2 of chapter 10 of Mark. It says, The Pharisees came and asked him, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife, testing him? And he answered and said to them, What did Moses command you? They said Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and to dismiss her. And Jesus answered and said to them, Because of the hardness of your heart, he wrote this precept. But from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. In the house, his disciples also asked him again the same matter, about the same matter. So he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if a woman divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Now last week, we covered Mark chapter 10, 1 through 9, which focuses on marriage. And we discussed how Jesus spoke about the importance of marriage. How marriage is really God's institution. We didn't invent it. And because of that, It's not our place to define the rules of marriage 
and how it is conducted. We recognize then that he alone has the right to tell us what marriage should be and how marriages should be put together. Now we also saw that Jesus taught us what is really important in marriage and that God has called man to this fundamental principle of unity. Men and women are called not just, you know, they're not just supposed to live together. They're not just supposed to be pals or partners or associates. They're to be one. And that unity is essential in the relationship and without it, things don't work. The husband needs to recognize that fundamental oneness in the relationship and the wife needs to recognize the fundamental order in the relationship. But then as we concluded last week in verse 9, we talked about the fact that God is the one who joins people together. It's not merely a social contract but rather it is a spiritual contract. And because of that, man cannot separate it. Only God can. And that is really what we will be discussing this morning. But before we dive in, I want you to notice something very important in verse 10. It says, In the house his disciples also asked him again, about the same matter. And I think those are very important words because if these three verses were the only teaching that we had on divorce and remarriage in the entire Bible, then we would come away with a very definite perspective on this, wouldn't we? Because it says if you're divorced for any reason, you can never be remarried. So friends, we need to understand what Jesus is talking about in its context. And Jesus is explaining these things based on what he's already spoken to them about. And we understand this clearly from what we see in verse 10, where it says, In the house, um, his disciples asked him again about the same matter. So it's about what we've just talked about. And in the previous verses, which we discussed last week, Jesus has already established that there is a permission granted for divorce. The Pharisees declared it from the law of Moses, Deuteronomy 24.1, and Jesus did not dispute that. But we also noticed last time that there's another account of this same story in the book of Matthew, and that account adds a little bit of clarity and specifics to the statement. Matthew 19, 6 says, And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery, and whoever marries her who is divorced commits adultery. In other words, God does permit divorce in the case of sexual immorality. Now, I did not say command. Jesus did not say command. He says that God permits it. Why? 
because of the hardness of the heart of man, whether it's the hardness of the heart of the offending party, whether it's the hardness of heart of the offended party, I won't forgive. It's the hardness in both of their hearts. And I will permit divorce in the case of sexual immorality. But the real issue here is that it's all about the heart. So Jesus has already answered this in the previous verses. He's already talked about the legitimate way that God will permit divorce. But now, to help us understand Jesus' comments in the greater Christian content, we're going to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. So let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and we're going to spend the majority of our time this morning here. Now, the Apostle Paul wrote this letter to the Corinthian church for two specific reasons. The first one was is there were many problems in this church. you got to understand, the city of Corinth had a reputation of being vile and wicked and debauched. If you called someone a Corinthian, you were calling them a corrupt, evil, lowlife. But many of these Corinthians were now becoming believers. And they're getting saved and living a Christian life in such a city was such a hard balancing act for them. And so the second reason that he wrote this letter was because there were so many questions that they had about living life as a follower of Christ. They had questions on being single. They had questions on being married. They had questions about divorce. They had questions about remarriage. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul sets out to answer some of these specific questions. And in verse 1 it says, Now concerning the things of which you wrote to me. Stop there. So this is an indirect response to these direct questions questions that were asked of the Apostle Paul. <clears throat> and just to add some insight into the mix, Tertullian, an early historian, wrote that pagan husbands were getting angry with their newly converted Christian wives. Because these Christian wives, they wanted to embrace other Christian people. They wanted to bring these people into their homes. They wanted to go visit the establishments of the poor and to help them out. And this created an incredible tension in many of these mixed marriages. Now, as we begin looking at the subject matter in this chapter, I want us to bring something to the table, and then I'm going to quickly dismiss it. In the past, and sadly to this day, some people still believe and are actively teaching that a Christian who's been divorced should under no circumstances ever be remarried again. And I just want to tell you that is flat out wrong. There are reasons in which they can be remarried and we want to look at that today. Look at 1 Corinthians 7, 27. Just move down a few verses for a moment. Paul's summing up what he's about to say in chapter 7. So he's summing up his thoughts. He says, are you bound to a wife? 
don't seek to be loosed. In other words, don't try to get out of your marriage. Are you loosed from a wife? Well, don't seek a wife. Now watch this. But even if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. So basically, Paul is saying it is okay to do so. In fact, by the time he writes 1 Timothy chapter 5, he's actually commanding the young women and the young widows to remarry. So obviously it's not wrong because Paul is telling them to do it. And so in order to illustrate this point this morning, I want to give you a solid biblical principle and then I'm going to give you four specific guidelines on this. So here's the principle. You ready? All those properly divorced can get remarried again. All those properly divorced can get remarried again. And by a proper divorce, or what you would call on biblical grounds. And if you get divorced on biblical grounds, it brings with it a permission to a biblical remarriage. Are you following? <clears throat> so let's begin reading at uh, 1 Corinthians 7, verse 8. And we're going to read through to verse 16. But I say to the unmarried and to the widows, it's good for them if they remain even as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, let them marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Now, to the married I command, yet not I, but the Lord, a wife is not to depart from her husband, but even if she does depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband. And a husband is not to divorce his wife, but to the rest, I, not the Lord, say, if any brother has a wife who does not believe and she is willing to live with him, let him not divorce her. And a woman who has a husband who does, does not believe, if he is willing to live with her, let her not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, and now, but now they are holy. But if the unbeliever departs, let him depart. A brother or a sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God has called us to peace. For how do you know, O wife, whether you will save your husband, or how do you know, O husband, whether you will save your wife? Now, there's a lot to unpack in here. But I want you to look at the four specific guidelines that Paul gives us in this passage. And notice in verse 8, Paul is speaking to two specific groups, unmarried and widows. And I'm going to begin with the latter because, quite frankly, that's just the easiest. And the first guideline is, when the spouse dies, you are free to remarry. That's pretty straightforward, right? You remember your wedding vows, right? It was, till death us do part. But if you look down at verse 39, Paul elaborates on this idea. 
And he says a wife is bound by law as long as her husband lives. But if her husband dies, she is at liberty to be married to whom she wishes. But I want you to notice there's a caveat there. Look at the end of verse 39. Only in the Lord. So if you're a Christian and your spouse dies, you can get married again, but just make sure that you marry a believer. Someone who truly follows the Lord only. Now the second guideline here in verse 8, and that pertains to when a divorce occurs prior to salvation. Now I mentioned Paul is writing to different groups who have different questions, and there's a word in verse 8 that I want you to look at. And it's the word unmarried. And in the Greek language, that word is agamos, which literally means without a marriage. Now for context, this word is only used four times in the entire Bible. All of them are in this chapter. And so, this chapter then provides the contextual meaning for that word, agamos. So yes, it can mean somebody who has never been married. But notice in verse 10, it says, Now to the married I command, yet not I but the Lord, a wife is not to depart, and that word depart in Greek is karitso which means to be cut off by divorce. So a wife is not to divorce from her husband, but even if she does depart or divorce him, let her remain what? Unmarried. Agamos. There's that word again. Remain unmarried. And it's used that way a few other times in this chapter. So it seems to refer to those who were previously married who are now divorced. Look, we know he's not talking about widows because he's already talked to, about widows on their own. And they're mentioned separately. And I don't necessarily think that he's speaking about someone who's very young and who's never been married because every time he refers to them, he talks about them as virgins. So when he says unmarried here, it seems that in this context, it means married and divorced before they came to Christ. And friends, that is something very important for us to understand because before we knew God, we didn't know God's will. We didn't know God's plan for our lives. And what is, whatever is in our past, when we came to Christ, we are now made new. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now, it's interesting that Paul uses the word new twice in this verse. And that word in the Greek is kainos, which literally means fresh. And that's the same word Jesus used in describing the new covenant in his blood that we just talked about from communion. 
the covenant or the promise between God and us. But it's the same covenant that we also share with our brothers and sisters who are believers. And it's the same covenant that is there between a husband and a wife. So friends, even if your past is all messed up, you've botched things up royally. You've made mistakes, big mistakes. Know that God can redeem that and make your mess into his masterpiece. And that's a promise. Well, there's a third guideline here in verses 10 through 14. And that is when the unbeliever in a mixed marriage deserts the marriage. So you have a marriage with a Christian and a non-Christian. And the non-Christian says, I'm out of here. And they leave. The Christian is free. And verse 10 says, Now to the married I command, yet not I but the Lord, a wife is not to depart from her husband, but even if she does depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband. And a husband is not to divorce his wife, but to the rest I, not the Lord, say, if any brother has a wife who does not believe and she's willing to live with him, let him not divorce her. And if a woman who has a husband who does not believe, if he is willing to live with her, let her not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but now they are holy. Look, not all the Corinthians fit into the first two categories. They weren't widows. And they weren't married and divorced prior to salvation. But they are married now. And they're married to an unbeliever. Why? Because they got saved and their spouse did not. And so now they find themselves unequally yoked and wonder what they should do. Should I stay with him? Should I leave him? And if I do... Should I remain single or can I remarry? What am I supposed to do? But I do want to clear something up here that always comes up when we look at these verses. There's something said in verses 10 and 12. Notice he says to the married, verse 10, I command, yet not I, but the Lord. And then to the rest of them, he says in verse 12, I, not the Lord, say. And this is important that we don't misunderstand this. Now, some think Paul is saying, what I'm saying here, that's inspired. But what I'm saying over here, well, that's just my own opinion, and it's, you know, it's kind of an uninspired opinion. But my friends, that's not what he's saying at all. What he is actually saying is, the Lord has already spoken on this. Jesus has already dealt with this issue before, and those are all the things that we spoke about last week in Matthew and Mark. But in verse 12, what Paul is saying is Jesus didn't directly teach on this particular case. So I'm giving you some further revelation on this issue. Jesus had not specifically spoken regarding unsaved spouses. And he hadn't dealt with how upset some of them 
uh, of these unbelieving spouses had become. And I know that many of you can relate to that, right? So many of these unbelieving spouses were so upset, they wanted out. I'm done. And what Paul's saying is, if they want to go because you are a believer, let them. In Romans 12, 18, though, it says we get, you know, we get another principle from Paul that applies so well here. He says, if it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. In other words, don't be a troublemaker. Don't stir things up. Don't drive people away. Don't be divisive. And as much as you can, in any relationship you have, be a peacemaker. Live at peace with all men. And I'm very glad Paul put it this way, if it is possible. Because we know that sometimes it's not possible. And my friends, that could be a message in and of itself. But what does verse 14 mean when Paul says the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband? It doesn't mean that they're automatically saved because they're married to a believer. It means that you as the believer are the influencer for salvation in that home. I love how the NLT renders verse 14. It says, For the believing wife brings holiness to her marriage. And the believing husband brings holiness to his marriage. Otherwise, your children would not be holy. But now they are holy. In other words, because you're in that home, your children have a godly influence. They're set apart for him. And you have the opportunity to be a true example of what it means to follow Jesus. And may I say, in being that example, it's going to take an unflinching resolve. Because the enemy, through the heart of your unbelieving spouse, will do all he can to cause you to compromise and to cause you to isolate yourself for the sake of of peace and honor. We've now covered three of the four guidelines allowing for the Christian to remarry. When a spouse dies, when divorce happens prior to salvation, when an unbeliever deserts the marriage. And now we come to our fourth and final guideline. And in many ways, we covered this point to some extent last Sunday, and that is when sexual immorality has prevailed in a marital relationship. So if there's unrepentant sexual activity, that is sexual immorality. And in that case, the injured party is then free to divorce and remarry. But there's something I need to explain about this. Jesus was very clear that sexual immorality within a Christian marriage was the only permissible reason to, for the end of a marriage. But I want you to draw your attention to the Greek word translated as sexual immorality. Do you know what it is? It's the word parnia. 
It's the root form of the word where we get pornography, pornographic, and it's a broad word covering a wide span of all manner of sexual impropriety. And may I say a person may be guilty of parnea without having in, actually engaged in the act of adultery itself. It's that blatant, willful, unrepentant behavior that is also sexual immorality. So now we understand this in a greater Christian context. Let's look back at Mark chapter 10. And in verse 11 it says, So he said to them, Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if a woman divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. So we've established that God only allows divorce in a Christian marriage for what? Sexual immorality. Notice, God didn't say incompatibility was biblical grounds for divorce. God didn't say not loving each other was biblical grounds for divorce. God didn't say that misery within the relationship was biblical grounds for divorce. God didn't say that unmet expectations were biblical grounds for divorce. God didn't even say, I found someone I liked better. <laughs> and the law of Moses clearly stated the only reason God allowed divorce was because of the hardness of their hearts. And friends, God does not view the marital covenant any differently than He views the new covenant He made with us when He shed His blood for us. Marriage is not a social contract. It is not just a piece of paper that makes the government happy or gives you a tax write-off. Marriage is a spiritual contract, a covenant between a man and a woman before God Himself. And God views that covenant of marriage as sacred. You know, God has made many precious covenants and promises with us. And God doesn't view any of His covenants or promises with us as optional. They are binding, and God will always honor His word to us. You can bank on that. God isn't looking for a loophole or an excuse so that he doesn't have to honor his word. Oh, you didn't do that? Gotcha. <laughs> I'm out. Second Corinthians first 20 tells us, for all the promises of God, how many of them? All. What does all mean? Just checking. All means all. All the promises of God in Him, Jesus Christ, are yes and in Him, amen. To the glory of God through us. Friends, I want you to really hear the heart of Jesus right now as we close this morning. I know this is a difficult 
subject to wade through. Jesus knows that we are broken and sinful people. Every last one of us, we're dust. And yes, Jesus is very concerned when we choose to sin and walk away from him. But I want you to understand that in spite of this hardness of heart, in spite of this sexual immorality, in spite of this unforgiveness, what was Jesus most concerned with? It was our spiritual adultery. And friends, the act of spiritual immorality is merely a symptom of a greater heart condition. And the divorce and unforgiveness were signs of a hardened heart. Friends, Jesus is most concerned with our heart. Because let me tell you, if our heart is right, if your heart is right, everything else will be right. But if your heart is wrong, everything else will be wrong. So how's your heart this morning? Does it need some softening? Well, let's pray right now and ask the Lord to do that work that only he can do. So, Father, I can't help but think <clears throat> how you've chosen marriage as the picture of Jesus and his church. And how Jesus does everything that he can to present his bride without spot, without wrinkle. He shows that love for his bride, the church. And our reunion in heaven with him is all about the marriage supper, being joined with him, being one with him. And Lord, so our marriages are pictures of what you are doing within your church even now. And Lord, to even be talking about divorce, having to talk about that, breaks my heart and I know it breaks yours. Lord, I just pray right now that whatever the area, whether it be in our marriage, I don't know where our marriage, uh, you know, everyone's marriage is at here this morning. But you do. I don't know where people's hearts are in other areas of their lives, but Lord, you're most concerned with not the symptom, you're worried about the root cause, which is our hearts. And so Lord, I just pray you will pour that holy oil on our hardened hearts and soften it, Lord. Help us to be moldable and pliable for you to do that work that only you can do in our lives. So Lord, I pray you'll soften our hearts this morning, whether it be to our spouse, whether it be to some other area where we've hardened it. We thank, we're thankful that you can do that. We can trust you with our hearts. We do that this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together.
Thank you for listening. If you guys have any questions, comments, or concerns, please feel free to message us on our Facebook page or on Instagram. God bless. Thank you.